I'm Matt Serdahl. Welcome to Mythic Christ, reawakening mythic imagination in earth, the self, and the divine. Mythic Christ podcast offers an experiential bridge between imagination, archetype, and sacred story to re-mystify the divine image within, to summon spiritual renewal and action in these times. This is Mythic Christ, reawakening mythic imagination in earth, the self, and the divine. Hey everyone, I'm Matt. I'm really excited about this episode today. Uh, It's a special episode in which I interview five of our participants from our recent Awakening Mythic Imagination Eco-Depth year-long program. And they've volunteered to share some of their stories and experiences. You'll all enjoy listening in. But before we jump into this interview time, I want to invite our listeners to an upcoming online intensive that is September 6th, 8th, and the 10th. It's called Green Christ, Wild Sacrament, and Mycelial Imagination. Deep in the dream realm of myth and poetic imagination lies something of great value. This treasure is one's unique image, one's seed of psycho-spiritual becoming. And through the lens of mycelial imagination and wild sacrament, this intensive will help reawaken us to the animate and ecstatic powers of earth and soul, birthing a new vision for the healing of sacred land and quite possibly the renewal of culture. This online intensive will explore the little-known archetype and hidden myth of the green Christ that has grown long underneath the linear theologies and patriarchal traditions of Christianity. Deep in the compost of our dying cultural ways is an ancient vine growing from the myths of the cosmic tree flowering at the navel of the world. Green Christ carries the wisdom of divine eros and ritual embodiment, and we explore a whole host of practices, guided group processes, and also consciousness-shifting practices and invitations to wanders out on the land. You may have glimpsed deep within you a passion that has ignited something in you, a call, a gentle but persistent whisper in your deepest self. For those listeners of this podcast episode, there's a special promotion. If you register soon for this intensive, you can enter in the promotional code INTERVIEW in all caps, and you'll receive an extra $50 discount off the total cost of the program. For more information, visit our website, mythicchrist.com slash intensives. That's mythicchrist.com slash intensives. And now, without further ado, let's begin the episode. I want to open with a poem from William Stafford called A Message from the Wanderer. 
Today outside your prison I stand and rattle my walking stick. Prisoners, listen. You have relatives outside and there are thousands of ways to escape. Years ago I bent my skill to keep my cell locked, had chains smuggled to me in pies, and shouted my plans to jailers. But always new plans occurred to me, or the new heavy locks bent hinges off or some stupid jailer would forget and leave the keys. Inside I dreamed of constellations, those feeding creatures outlined by stars, their skeletons a darkness between jewels. Heroes that exist only where they are not. Thus freedom always came nibbling my thought, just as often in light on the open hills. You can pass an antelope and not know, and look back and then, even before you see, there is something wrong about the grass. And then you see. That's the way everything in the world is waiting. That's the way everything in the world is waiting. Now, these few more words and then I'm gone. Tell everyone just to remember their names and remind others later when we find each other. Tell the little ones to cry and then go to sleep, curled up where they can. And if any of us get lost, if any of us cannot come all the way, remember, there will come a time when all we have said and all we have hoped will be all right. There will be that form in the grass. I've had the privilege and honor of getting to know a uh, group of pretty amazing individuals from lots of different experiences and actually lots of different regions uh, from Finland and the UK and Canada and both coasts and central uh, United States. So quite a cohort this year for our Awakening Mythic Imagination year-long program. And uh, I've been incredibly enriched by this community and uh, deeply shaped by uh, each of these people who I now consider friends and who have allowed me to guide them on a unique eco-depth journey, you might say, of awakening mythic imagination. This year-long program has uh, spanned nine months of cohort time, uh, at least nine months, and it's followed the seasonal cycles and the solstices and equinoxes, inviting us to tune into the Earth's rhythms as part of our year-long journey and part of our individual experience. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go too much into the Awakening Mythic Imagination program because I'd like our participants to speak for themselves. But just to say I've been astonished actually at how transformative this year long has been and um how intimate of a process that it's been. Um, I want to just jump in, actually, to this uh, this podcast interview with just a few of our year-long participants. You'll hear five different folks uh, share about their experience. And I asked them lots of different questions, like, 
what surprised you that you definitely didn't expect about this year-long program? And, you know, were there any central practices that really shaped you? And is there sort of a soul encounter or a deeply numinous experience that they want to uh, share with our listeners um, as, a, as a way of helping them understand uh, the kind of ecstatic and mystical experiences that they've been having during the year-long program and how it's shaped their vocation, their sense of purpose. And um, also to kind of reflect on how they engaged with world mythologies, great mythic stories, and also the uh, Judeo-Christian scriptures as well, you know, from kind of an archetypal lens, how they really experienced it in a deep way. And then what shifted, like what in their lives, how did they perceive their lives change and shift? You know, how are they, how are they different now? So without any further ado, we're going to start off with introductions here of some of our participants and then drop into the conversation. My name is Greg, uh, Greg Turk. I'm uh, a pastor in Seattle, Washington, and I lead a monthly eco-spiritual experience called Wild Sacred, which is a non-religious gathering that, that helps folks reconnect or connect with the more than human world and with one another and, and themselves. Yeah, so I, I have that offering. And in addition to that, I offer other services to as a guide or mentor to, to folks as they're seeking that, that sort of reconnection with uh, in eco-spirituality. And my own path has led me to relationships with an ancestral lineage in Peru and in the high Andes, where I've been invited and trained, educated, and then brought into uh, this family lineage of Pacos that are Andean shaman. And that's been really meaningful to me in my life. So I'm, yeah, I'm uh, very much informed and shaped by, the, by those experiences also. And it's good to be here. So my name's Maggie. I live in the North Pennines in the UK. I'm retired. I'm in my 70s. I have been an Anglican priest. I still value the church. I have had a real hunger for a deepening of my both understanding of and experience of um, what's called Lord, tends to be called mystery. That feels a bigger kind of name. Mystery, different word for the divine that transcends the modern dualisms that we fall into in contemporary theologies and also incorporates the animate, mysterious world, actually the anima mundi, the world soul uh, of many other indigenous traditions. So it's kind of an inclusive terminology that helps us arrive in the same place. And I've also always had a real sense of spiritual connection with the land, almost wherever I am, but this is the part of the UK in which I was born. So coming back here to live has felt like a return to ancestral lands. Yeah, so having done a little bit of work with the Animas Institute, and of course Matt and what he's offering, linked with um, that word Christ, I suppose, whatever that might mean. And that has just seemed such an intriguing combination that I felt this was the right thing to do. And it has actually felt like hitting the bullseye because I have actually tried lots of other things, but this has been a combination of so many of my hungers and interests that it's been uh, life-giving. 
And my name is Katie Crow. I am a PCUSA Presbyterian Church USA pastor in Durham, North Carolina, and sit on the, the ancestral homelands for the Eno and Tutelo and Saponi, Okanichi and Shikori people, as well as others of Sun descent. Um, I pastor a congregation of about 415 members and uh, am immersed in the centering prayer practice and uh, deeply interested in the contemplative dimension of the gospel, but I'm grateful to have the opportunity to call this land and this space and time home in this wonderful community of people. A great sense of tragedy that is before us is is not the fullness of the reality that that is asking to be materialized in our world that is our inheritance as creatures that pain had always been acute and was part of what led me to mythic christ in the first place and the awareness of of what could be versus what is keeps me deeply motivated <laughs> to to not give up to not go back to sleep i'm loud i i'm from finland uh originally from a small town in the in the southwest coast uh, coast of baltic sea and uh, quite a many years i've been i've been a big fan of uh, bill plotkin's teachings and uh, was privileged to a year ago to to visit the us and uh, and do some some immersions by animus valley institute the Animus Valley Institute was founded by Bill Plotkin back in 1980. It's out in Durango, Colorado, and Bill's work has deeply influenced uh, my own guiding and practices. Christian mysticism has been has been a, an essential part of my life. Not so many years, some some three four years or so. I met Matt in a in an online immersion by. Seminar of the Wild and uh, got very interested about this combination of uh, Plotkin's models and teachings uh, and Christian mysticism. My vision for Mythic Christ Mystery School and this particular year-long program, Awakening Mythic Imagination, has been deeply influenced by both streams uh, from the pan-cultural journey of soul initiation and more generally nature-based soul work to the ancient mythologies and great archetypal journeys of descent and ascent found in world mythologies and in the Judeo-Christian tradition as well that we explore during this year-long program. I wanted to see what this year-long program was up to in the lives of our participants, and I was really curious what surprised our participants most about the awakening mythic imagination that shaped or shifted their lives in a permanent sort of way. Kelly, a United Methodist minister, was the first to answer this question. One of the surprising things is that in this kind of attending to the world around us. And in the invitation that was early on given in this year long was to find an object, find something in the world and on the land that engaged me and, or, you know, called to me. And so in doing that, I found this tiny little shell that is of a mollusk by a river. And what's been surprising to me is this kind of sustained conversation with it. Sustained conversation with a world being, a shell, 
At the very beginning of our year-long program, we did a deep connection practice to enter into an animate relationship with another being that uh, the participants sensed was calling to them on the land which they wandered. Uh, A small being that could fit into the palm of one's hand and one that the participants sensed wanted to uh, journey with them on this whole year-long program. In some ways, this being invited them to turn aside and to see. And this was called a sacred story wander. And we began with a quote from mystic Julian of Norwich saying this, And in this he showed me a little thing, a little thing, the quantity of a hazelnut, lying in the palm of my hand, as it seemed. And it was as round as any ball. I looked upon it with the eye of my understanding and thought, what may this be? And it was answered generally thus, it is all that is made. I marveled how it might last, for I thought it might suddenly have fallen to nothing for littleness. And I was answered in my understanding, it lasts and ever shall, for God loves it. And so have all things their beginning by the love of God. So this wander introduced them to an animate relationship with the land, and they returned to our cohort with this being, the small being from the natural world. And then we did a journaling exercise in which they were invited to write what it is, to write down what this small being was, and on and on until they ended up writing a poem that started with the statement, this is, And then after they wrote this poem, they were invited to ask the being what the being would like to say about who the participant is and to really listen with deep intuition. And then to rewrite this descriptive poem, but this time changing the opening statements from this is to I am. And you can imagine the effect that this exercise might have had, and the uh, numinous conversation that it began with several of our participants throughout the rest of the year long. It has and continues to just unfold these conversations, both personally and within my family and vocationally. This tiny thing that that I'm in conversation with that I'm attending to, that keeps this ongoing conversation alive. It's actually kind of remarkable to think back on uh, some of your encounters through dreams and through the imagination as well. But this particular shell is an image. It seems to hold some truth. It seems to hold some way that the world itself is inviting you into a relationship on its terms. The world was a waiting lover, reaching out to enter into relationship and conversation through something as small as a little river shell, a papoose. The shell became for Kelly a sort of God image, a image of the world that wants to reach back and touch and relate and be in conversation. 
In this way, the year-long program was an invitation to enter into the flesh of the world, the incarnated spirit reality that the world actually is, if we have eyes to see. Our own direct, unmediated experience is the core of this initial discovery. The contact with the land, the understanding of the animate universe, which was spiritual, it wasn't there to be used, it was to have a relationship with. The combination of flesh and spirit is absolutely crucial for health of the individual and the planet and everything. And it was actually looking at that and experiencing it. It wasn't just teaching it, it was actually teaching ways of, of entering into it. Um, like the wonders, I mean, the wonders, are, uh, the wonders out in the wild are a primary aspect of it, aren't they? Exposing oneself to communication with with everything, but actually being incredibly focused because recognizing we can't do that and kind of being guided to make contact with something, some kind of being. And actually, I say a thing, but it is a beingness that's always used, and everything is so respectful of the earth and and all its children. So it actually just seemed to hold a key to something that was missing. In, in my tradition, if you like. I mean, a lot of a lot of work's been done theologically on soma, the body, but actually teaching to experience it and in contact with nature was so rich. It was beautiful. I'm really curious about the experience here of mystery, of numinous grace. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit more of like your relationship with the shell or with the world through this small being could you say a little bit more of the emotion, like what what's happening in you yeah. in this conversation? I think what I need to say is that one of the things that I that I early on as I was drawing the shell in this very it's a world being for me it struck oh this is a this also looks like a papoose this also looks like an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes this this also and so all of those things came and through my very personally you know one of the things i did very early on was to say oh that's this child that i received in adoption of my child and it's this thing, and um, this thing is her, you know, this thing is what I receive. The shell, as an image, helped her to experience the gift of grace in her adopted daughter. And in the grace of just the gift that's given of this being, it just said, hold me however you need to hold me now. I had inverted it and it was not the way that I held it. I don't even know how to, you know, address that. There's a joyousness in that, right? There's this deep joy that I really don't see things correctly. I've tried to make it be some things. I can't say that it's it's refused that. The shell has been so gracious in its shedding of my projections onto mm. it. It just will not stick. It receives it and lets it go. That's what I'm paying attention to. This is not a culminating kind of experience for me at this end of this year. It's a, a deeper invitation. And the emotion there is is certainly this just this um a connection and uh this kind of 
joining of art and embodiment, you know, this that very kind of incarnational sense of being with, being with, very embodied. When I did that, the giftedness of both the conversation with the shell and the giftedness of the adoption, of the receiving of this child were revisited. I mean, it was put back together. So there was this kind of um, holing, W-H-O-L-I-N-G. Holing. We explore the book Wild Mind by Bill Plotkin during this year long. Part of what we're attending to is the journey of wholeness. These innate capacities and gifts that we each carry that are often undiscovered in our lives or suppressed through different strategies we needed in childhood to keep safe by keeping small. Here, Kelly is engaging with the shell not only as a God image, but as an image of what Carl Jung called the self. The shell for Kelly became an image of wholeness, an image of her own wholeness. And as she deepened into conversation with this shell, it offered her gifts of grace. The shell allowed Kelly to discover that her life was trying to work out an inner tension of opposites that needed reconciliation, healing, forgiveness, and ultimately greater wholeness. This image of wholeness has been explored during this year long as a sort of map of the four facets, four directions. Uh, and understanding also the, the map of the human development, the, you know, like the nature-based uh, wheel of human development, taking seriously the psychological insights that our culture has actually got in touch with and is connecting, as you say, with indigenous cultures. It's, uh, it takes the individual seriously as well, which just seems such a bit, I can't think of a bigger kind of landscape to work in, really. It's that recognition, they're real and not, they're not project, they're not understood as projections, where in every other model I've worked with, that's always hovering. But actually, if they're real, and they're there for us and we're there for them, it's completely different. Solid, you know, there's something solid about it. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I feel like that. That's a huge um, piece is the reconnection to the body and um, kind of the affirmation, the deep, deep incarnational affirmation of the body entangled in a whole realm of other bodies and sentiences. And I heard you say, too, that just the care and the reverence Friends, taken yeah. in our approach to yeah. these others um, that are quite real. The integration of many uncultural uh, or indigenous ways and styles of spirituality and also the great world religions as well it, it to me it has been it has been a helpful synthesis a kind of map design particularly for modern uh, western people what surprised me most wasn't anything particularly kind of mystical or anything because in a way I had such an open mind to it that everything that's come just bit I kind of pulled up <laughs> that's fine but what has surprised me and this you might want to cut, cut this out <laughs> <laughs> I I was a bit reticent about actually doing something with a lot of Christians I have to say because mm. 
partly my background. I just, you know, just felt so I wanted to move forward and um, breathe a different air. And I don't think everyone on the course is a paid up Christian, but there are plenty of pastors as well. In the past, I would have <laughs> tried to avoid it. Yeah, so yeah. that's a huge surprise. And it's lovely because it actually means that integration is possible. I think I was in a position of being so, I don't know if inoculated is the right word, but, you know, terms like Bible study, um, if, if anything like that came in my my horizon, I just didn't want anything to do with it. I've had enough of it. <laughs> and this feeling of constantly, um, not exactly being picked up on, but feeling that you could you could go beyond the boundaries and be in trouble. This year long is about going beyond the boundaries in a certain sense, and maybe even getting in the right kind of trouble. It just felt like being part of, yeah, just being part of uh, a unit that the, the air was getting too thin somehow. Um, but at the same time, my experiences of Christ, the mystery throughout my life have been so rich and so real. I, I mean, I loved what I did with Animas, for example, but I've, I kept quiet about all that because there wasn't anybody there who was being overt about. And I just felt met, you know, I felt like whatever Christ is was meeting me in my flesh with another, other human beings, in flesh human beings um, who had the same, yeah, just the same longing. It, it enabled me to feel that that part of me that I felt I had to shut off in certain groups could actually be expressed. Yeah, this is very interesting as I, I, I find myself uh, coming from a very different background and I was <laughs> I was more like curious about uh, working with uh, with the scripture and because I haven't I haven't been trained in that although I I was in the kind of school church when I was a teenager and I was at time a part of Lutheran church but I <laughs> I divorced from the church as soon as I I was uh, 18 years old I was deeply surprised by the transformative effect of being in community during this process, the experiences of my counterparts like Greg and their vulnerability and willingness to open themselves up to this authentic engagement and to being authentically engaged by the uh, many experiences that they had and by the content as well as just one another was so deeply powerful. So I would say I was most surprised by the community and how their experience experientially shaped me. Yeah, I, I agree, Katie. I think, yeah, that was a surprise for me also. And, and uh, it was really wonderful how how people showed up and to um, to be able to share our experiences together and to hear from folks how, you know, they're stepping into this space and we have some, a lot of similarity. And at the same time, just how different we are and how diverse and and how beautiful people's experiences and and stories uh, are when when they're sharing them, and to see how how their their story, like like mine, is is one that is um, ongoing, right? That it's this, you know, you can see this developing storyline as we get to know one another at these deep levels, and be able to share, you know, this these deep experiences that, you know, it's, it's not always easy to find spaces to, you know, share in that, with that kind of depth and, and like you said, vulnerability. 
you know, but but it didn't take long before, you know, as we get to know one another and see that this particular story really fits within this larger narrative folks, you know, each in our own way with, uh, you know, a lot of difference and at the same time, a lot of similarity. I thought that was super cool. I remember having to join the group remotely. I was on a long car ride and I said, I, I will be listening. And it was during the dream work uh, time where we were doing some dream work. And one of our members was sharing and Matt was guiding them through a reflection and the depth of opening and real-time revelation that this person was experiencing brought me to tears so significantly that I had to pull over, mm-hmm. just weep and just weep for the fullness of it and and to weep for the privilege of watching someone be transformed. Uh, of hearing here, I'm joining at the most remote possible level and I can feel this person's life shifting tectonically. I also remember in a process of guided imagination, an imaginal journey that we as a group were doing together. There was an opportunity that was given for everybody to give voice to particular things that surfaced for them after the fact, you know, at at particular junctures. And at one point, separate people all named the same image that they had had at the same juncture in this imaginal journey that we shared together. And here we are, a group of people on different continents, in very in different time zones, on Zoom, and yet we are having a shared mystical experience, yeah. which <laughs> resonates with this mycelial interconnectedness that is sort of the narrative container that holds that which cannot be explained, that, you know, this intrinsic unity that we share in lots mm-hmm. of ways. What is a shared mystical experience? What is the kind of consciousness, the kind of magic that happens when individuals enter into a communal container that opens the apertures of perception through deep vulnerability and intimacy? On this year-long program, we explore these questions from the perspective of direct experience, questions of the reality of mycelial imagination and the experience of mystical and numinous encounters. Layers of reality that are revealed in the great myths and religious traditions, even the Mount Tabor and Mount Carmel experiences that often happen in group contexts. The other place that's coming from this kind of deep joy is literally in the course of the middle of this year long was this uh, coming out by my child of being transgendered. And I didn't know what to do with that. There is a, um, you know, how could I not know all of those kinds of things. But in the course of this relationship with this shell, and the turning, right, and all that that intends, you know, the the kind of reforming and that that's my experience of it is that there's this deep kind of reformation that's happening within me in terms of my own projections. And the, the joy is both in my sadness and in the, the sense I had of a loss that's a of hearing my child say to me, I'm not who you think I am. There was a shift happening. That's when the shell turned. That's when the shell turned, right? 
and it was kind of a forgiveness you know can you say more about that yeah so it was a um on the one hand i was deeply sorrowful that i had not seen within my child my adopted gift of a child who that person truly is and the only word i could come up with in the beginning was that i somehow had to relinquish her and who i thought she was into something else forgiveness is a way of seeing differently seeing our lives a kind of reformation because i couldn't do that in a timely fashion i felt like i had broken something like and and in the midst of all of that i i was writing you know all of these things that that the shell is this home the shell is shelter uh the shell is this hard covering for a soft body it is this uh covering for you know this embodied thing that protective of a soul like just all those things were coming out and just the um depth of the conversation and the the visual and the the you know turning me on my head this whole coming out certainly it's also in my vocation now you know the methodist church literally is splitting over issues related to human sexuality and i have so tried to resist entering that fray i'm just i care deeply about it what this invitation has done but um being invited by a created order by a divine beyond being more than human has given space not to engage the cacophony of the day but to attend to attend to myself the kind of the wound if you will uh, attending to the wound in such a way that it draw, draws me out not getting caught in this kind of um hold the sack of my own mind and that there is an invitation to another kind of conversation that is beyond whatever i have imagined that that kind of conversation might be an invitation to another kind of conversation that's beyond all i could have imagined poet david white speaks in this way about the soul that the soul is the largest conversation we're capable of having with the world and for kelly the shell became an image of soul it became an aperture with which she could unfold these deepening questions about herself about life about her deepest central relationships it was an invitation into a space in which she could withdraw her projections about who her child should be or about what life should be a space in which she could attend the wound for both my child and myself and even in the larger community of the context of my united methodist church the church in general you know all of those things and um it was a step out of in that sense a kind of um constructed given form that the world just doesn't have right now letting me walk in my own grief in a space that 
I could not share with my child because it's really not hers. It's mine. Maybe sometime I will share that. But at this moment, her her own sense, his own sense of it's it's just too hard. And so the gift of grace that was given to me by this tiny living being that would not take on either the shame that I felt or uh, the projections that I wanted to give it, but insisted on its own being. It was just a grace that I don't know. I don't know. There are a couple of things here I just want to kind of name and maybe reflect back a little bit. One is the holding gift, which was a surprise of this conversation with the shell. And it wasn't just a conversation with the shell itself, but somehow um, your relationship opened to the world in a new way through this shell, which seemed to continuously mirror back to you this inner movement that you were also experiencing in your relationships. For me, uh, Imaginal Journey is uh, stands out. Yeah, I, lo- I love that experience and how that takes me and leads me to to new places continually. And also the the wanders, the way that we were invited and prompted to to wander uh, was really also opening and, and informative for me. I would say those two practices are really central in my in my process, in my journey. We had one uh, one on land assignment to listen to your podcast, Matt. And there was a, some guided imagery in terms of welcoming welcoming that which wishes to reveal itself that we might apprentice to. And I had gone out to this little spot on the Eno River. And I remember that it was a very beautiful autumn day. And my phone was blowing up with text messages of urgent things needing immediate feedback, as often happens with pastors. And it seems especially when they're trying to get some time away. and. I had engaged the practice as fully and authentically as I could with my phone blowing up uh, along the banks of the Eno. And I remember at the time struggling with feeling like either I was shortchanging myself or shortchanging the experience, or maybe I should just stop, and yet trying to give myself over to the invitation to, to journey. And only maybe the last 10 minutes of the podcast found me in a truly rested state But even more than that, uh, opening to these shadowy figures that had nonetheless creeped into my purview at the bidding of the invitation that had been set in that podcast. And they had been encroaching regardless of my ability to engage at the level that I had wanted, but it was the level that I could offer. And I became aware of that in the last few minutes of the podcast And I'll never forget that when I opened my eyes with my back leaning up against a tree and myself facing the river, I was watching the water flow and I saw it flow backward. Because it was autumn, all of these leaves were just going in this one direction, flowing one direction downstream. And they started shifting without a single breeze. I kept rubbing my eyes, thinking I was seeing things, waiting for the wind to blow, and I couldn't feel the wind blowing. It was perfectly still, and yet it was happening right in front of me. 
it was certainly the most visually powerful mystical experience I'd ever had. And it taught me that anything is possible, that I'm living in a world where the river can yet flow backward. And not too long after that, on a different journey that we were all on together, there had been an invitation throughout the course of the year to understand different archetypes and immerse ourselves in the reality of different archetypes and what those meant. And the trickster archetype was um, an archetype that we were taking up in this particular module. And reflecting on this, I had surfaced for me this image of sort of this outlandish figure that might look like a Coco Pele meets Avatar and kind of embodied this trickster energy uh, and was invited to engage with this figure, this fairly outlandish figure. And the river that flowed backward in this outlandish figure that was sort of summoned by my imagination, maybe from the mystery, actually propelled me on this really deep journey of, of naming and recognizing the way that I had been living within myself, experiencing deeply binary distinctions between different aspects of my personhood that created tension and conflict within myself to try to understand who am I as a pastor, as a person, but in a world where the river flows backward and where something like an energy that would materialize this outlandish figure who seemed to be amazingly okay with himself, it led me on this journey of integrating what I had perceived to be as disparate parts in a way that helped me welcome parts that I had cast out to the edge of the village or beyond the village of my own um, embrace. Is it possible that we can live in a world where the river flows backwards? Is it possible that reality is far more than we can understand? That there are worlds hidden within worlds deep beneath our, our ordinary perception? ushered in this real beautiful season of sensing this deeper level of personal integration and celebration, and then moving to a place where I can do nothing but live out of this, this full space, this full spaciousness that I feel within myself of bringing the whole of myself to every single thing, which I had thought I had been doing and I had been trying to do, and I had been doing, I think rather successfully, but for the parts of myself that I had exiled. So it was great to welcome them home. I think for me, the mandala exercises, uh, well, just, just getting a grip on the understanding of the mandala as a, as a possibility has been really, really helpful. The understanding that if you get two intersecting circles, um, the space that's shared between them is the shape of what's called a mandala, an almond-shaped space. And if you, if you have a kind of conflict in your mind over... Well, whatever, really, but with me, it tends to be images that have cropped up don't don't seem to have a relationship or they're in anti, an, antagonistic towards each other. So you stand on one point of the mandala and then embody that particular point of view and they let it express itself, uh, crying physically, dancing, whatever, not necessarily just in words. And then when you're done, move to the opposite side and express the opposite point of view. And keep on doing that until something else emerges. And um, it, it can feel really destabilizing, actually, because you're swapping over and over. And um, But I have found it really helpful as an exploration tool, really. And I'm very emotional, so it stirs up my emotions hugely. So I have to handle it fairly carefully, actually. Hmm. I can feel absolutely exhausted after it. 
that in a way is a good sign, I think, that something has actually happened. I find mm-hmm. that very helpful. From the perspective of mythic imagination, Trickster arrives on the scene to dissolve something into a watery space that flows the wrong direction into a portal or mandorla dissolve us in all the right ways so that we can evolve disorient disrupt disintegrate so that something new might reintegrate one detail is that i've been kind of living for a long time with the image i will give this detail um of the the horned god um and the, the, the Celtic horn god, Canonus, but also Christ, and a feeling that, in fact, there's a there's some kind of connection between them. And I had done some work on that, and I, I trusted it enough, to, but at the same time, there wasn't a, an image of the word that had come up. So I worked with that, um, and it was, yeah, it was challenging. But as it were, they met in the middle and merged in me and became... An energy which actually I'm still exploring. I can't possibly, you know, tell the story and put a full stop. But it's very enlivening. That's the point. It's really enlivening. And I love the fact that Laurie and I are on kind of almost opposite ends of the spectrum, that we're talking about the same stuff. You know, this is a pagan god. and uh, But in one sense, Christ is every. Well, in every sense, Christ is everything. Or whatever it is we call Christ is everything. And so... That's what integration is, isn't it? When things come into oneness. The invitation to write write a personal myth that was uh, that was that was very surprising and uh, somehow very fundamentally shifting or opening experience for me. A new kind of cre- cre- creativity of yeah opened opened for me through the through the writing process and. Uh, Writing process, in addition to to reading some uh, some scriptures, like in 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 my case, it was the the book of Re- Revelation. I read that, and uh, also also wrote uh, wrote actually two kinds of myths at the same times, and the at, and the synchronicities that I experienced and am still experiencing. It's it's very. There is this kind of new new magic that I don't understand. I asked Lowry to clarify what he meant by new magic. How the myth and uh, somehow land and my own life is somehow in a in a deep and alive relationship and conversation. I don't know what what is it. <laughs> some mm-hmm. sort of some some sort of magic. The experience of synchronicity in one's life as we enter into the depths of consciousness and the world, as we attend to this deep conversation with the land, can indeed feel like magic. The land is alive, it's animate, and is in constant communication, and that our sense of vision and revelation is deeply embedded in these presences, this subtle memory encoded into the land itself. What's the feeling of that magic that you understand your life to be an inquiry into now, somatically or emotionally? How would you describe what it does to you, this magic? 
Well, at the moment, firstly, I there is the there's the, the feeling of aloneness in in a way that there is very there is very few people that I can I can share and talk about these things. So I feel it's like it feels like the the farther I I walk the path, the more alone or isolated from the from the mainstream uh, culture I feel. So it's that's one thing that is alive in, in this in this moment, and it's uh, confusing, but also also very. Uh, it's like exploring a new ground or terrain that feels that feels somehow more more meaningful, more more alive, more true. I, th- I think, as with most things, it's enriched any. I hadn't really thought of it in terms of the question you're asking. But I hadn't looking at it. It's kind of enriched what being a monastic is. But um, thinking in terms of monastics, monastics as generally being in a kind of intentional community. But the idea of aloneness as something rich and as the roots of our being is something that's drawn me for a long time. But it's, it's at the same time it is very challenging because it does does have this sense of loneliness in it. So you have to experience. I don't know how you can enter it without experiencing some degree of loneliness, and that can be so hard. It's the temptation to run away from it is enormous. But you make a choice. I mean, I feel as if I have made a cho- I've certainly made a choice for this year to um, focus on that. And it feels like Larry was saying, it feels really real. It feels rich. It is. It is to do with the land. I mean, my I say, you know, the whole year long has been threaded through with the myth that. I think chose me at the beginning because you asked us all to let a myth choose us. We learn how to engage deeply, to listen, to enter into the dreaming of the land, into its own imagination, that we can discover something of our own place, something of our own mythic identity that we were born to live, that we were born to be in service to the world. And mine was of the maidens in the Arthurian tales that guarded the wells, the water, but the land. And once they were actually attacked by knights, they withdrew. And so the wasteland emerged. And that that was the myth. And there have been loads and loads of images, but throughout I've been so craving. When I've been on the wanders outside, I've craved water. I was craving it with for a few months before realising there was a connection between that and that myth. And it's other things have been happening, but that thread has woven all the way through the year long so and a culminating in discovering a real spring in the land so it's not just my imagination it's not just my heart longing it's actually there in the land the land speaking to me and now kind of looking into the summer I'll be going into a place which I never thought I'd even get back to a place that really spoke to me as a child which became utterly mythical to me in my own personal reflection on my life and just by sheer um coincidence <laughs> serendipity um i'm going there for a few days to be literally on my own with no wi-fi no phone no nothing and i can hardly believe that that's actually happening i feel i really do not want to die without having gone through this experience it's just on hold until i can go and see what depth is waiting for me but this feels as though it feels that my heart is expanding So again, we're talking about integration, actually. But it actually feels it's something that's making me larger. And that's incarnation, isn't it? 
So yeah, so mysticism to do with incarnation, not not to do with just connecting with the upper realms or anything. It's actually incarnating the upper, the middle and the lower realms. In the imaginal journey work, the the wild guide who showed up to me, you know, consistently throughout this year is is Coyote, who guides me and and takes me to places where I become more aware of, you know, this, the truth of my being, the most authentic self of who I am, you know, this soulful self, and has taught me about my identity as, as well as my purpose and vocation. And, and in these experiences, Coyote takes me to other guides and other teachers. Coyote, for instance, would take me to another being, and in one case, a panther. And this this panther was <laughs> kind of like an old an old school coach. The panther was leading me through this sort of jungle forest, but I could barely keep up. And the only way that I could keep up, and and the only way that I could keep up was to give myself a hundred percent into running like he ran. What I what I realized in that was that there's no half step. This isn't a hobby. This is about life at its depths and. It's a place where I had to make commitment, commitment to who I am and what I'm about, what I'm called to. That lesson for me, that teaching was really transformative and it moved me you know, through a, a new gate, which was a gate of commitment, a gate to step into fully what I knew, you know, how I knew myself to be and, and who I am becoming and who I am vocationally. So at this deep level of my longing to love and to be loved, that's opening myself and learning how to be loved. That there is this, in this spirit-soaked world, this uh, beautiful lover uh, who is near to us and intimate and uh, in this, you know, life in which we have our own, that, you know, we're in this glorious, exquisite company of of life in the more than human world and 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 how do i unlearn in many ways that which i've been taught about separation and 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 open myself to the fullness of that experience so this year long has uh, has really helped me with that you know in in many ways to get out of my own way the returning has brought me to that place of knowing where i sit knowing where i stand knowing who i am and what what i'm about Along the lines of the trickster archetype, and uh, Greg mentioned Coyote, the one of the invitations to sort of apprentice to an animal or to see what animal is surfaces for you at different junctures. Um, the image that surfaced for me was a heron, the image of a creature that just stands with such poise watching. And during different junctures at this during this experience, the heron heron would emerge for me at different thresholds when a path diverged in a wood and I was invited to choose if I would go left or right, so to speak. It showed up at times when I needed to pay attention. And I call upon that image within myself now when I want to pay better attention. In the vein of this trickster archetype, the those disparate spaces within myself that I hadn't realized were longing for reconciliation and unification had congealed over the course of this year into recognition that it wasn't that there were many facets of myself, some of which I was living out of more authentically than others, but there's actually just this wholeness of personhood being located in a particular ecosystem 
and that God is using every single aspect of that personhood to nourish the ecosystem, to inform the ecosystem, just as God is using every aspect of that of that ecosystem to to nourish and inform me. And so the the level of integration of not only personhood but awareness of the multiplicity of gifts that and tools is probably the best word that that God is using to shape a community um, that isn't God is using to invite me to lead out of to experience life out of to allow myself to be formed by has just led to this enlargement of reality it's difficult for me to actually pick out one what came to me was the imaginal journey we listened to on the land writing a guide to green christ and a huge snake appeared for me and she was female and i was very overwhelmed actually didn't know what to do with it at all just kind of followed it a bit point is that the whole thing about the feminine has actually been threaded through again that's to do with that myth as well and i realized at the end of the year long i ended up having gone through a certain kind of process of reconnecting or connecting maybe for the first time with the feminine aspect of the mystery in a way that actually satisfied me. It was, so it was through that in the very beginning, she was very white as though she'd been in the darkness for aeons. And that was, that was a bit unpleasant to look at, actually. But it feels as though that feminine, as I say, has come out into the light. And so I've actually ended up with being the strongest soul image I have at the moment is of a well. The well, a great archetype of the water of life, found in almost every world mythology and religion. Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and the one who believes drink. Out of the belly shall flow rivers of living water. And from the Gospel of Thomas, whoever drinks from my mouth will become as I am, and I will become that person, and the mysteries will be revealed to her. And I'd done some tracking around the area of my birth, which was problematical, I've always seen as very important for my soul development, and came to this well at the centre of the town of the city that I was born in, just a stone's throw from where I was born. And the well is this very transparent, still space in a very numinous little grove and it seems empty but it's overflowing it seems empty and it's overflowing and it seems empty and it's overflowing it just holds the two together beautifully and it is actually a well that's dedicated to mary it's entirely seen as feminine can't move on from it at the moment until until this time in the tribute very stable but it's constantly moving and in the middle of all of that, there was the the uh, imaginal journey who led us on into the depths in the second module, Deep Christ, which led me into the Yoni. So I ended up re-entering the womb, which I'd been longing to do in some way or another. And, and that then led to the well. You know, actually having that physical well as, a, as an image and knowing it exists... Um, and also that it's been a place of pilgrimage for centuries. That's not exactly telling you the details of a story, but it's just showing the way that everything has linked up beautifully and in a very real way, that's all. We just keep coming back to that term, real. 
the imaginal has actually led me there. The imaginal is active, but it's interfacing with who I am and what I am, and as Lowry said, with the land that I occupy. It was the first first gathering, first immersion, uh, the beginning of the of Mythic Christ year long, and uh, we were invited to do a portal ceremony on the land, and also another invitation was to ask the land to share story with us. So I did. I I was then on a on an island, Lake Bayan, uh, in in Finland, in southern Finland. I asked there in a beautiful grove valley, the land, tell me a story. And uh, somehow spontaneously I entered this kind of otherworldly trans state where I could feel primarily with my body, the land, its textures and energy currents and beings and, uh, and also images. This ancient warrior swinging a sword on, on top of a hill and I would I would see also a Viking boat and some other war type uh, images there was there was a strong uh, strong bodily bodily re- resonances and emotions as well I was quite confused about it so I, we were back then we were exploring this kind of feminine qualities of divinity and there there comes this war scenery and the image of the warrior and uh, then it was it was some some half a year after this when i was while having a one-to-one session with matt i met this in in the imaginal realm i met this cloaked sage figure uh, who had been visiting me quite many times earlier and uh, he handed me a, a staff and then it turned into a sword when I when I touched that sword, I I felt like very powerful, powerful charge and uh, instinctual fear and but with the with Matt's sword, I was I was able to to hold hold the sword in my both hands. And then later, what the what the sword taught me was I was faced intimately with my with my own mortality. While playing playing with the sword, with this imaginal sword in the in the woods, I would encounter this uh, dark knight who challenged me to to have a duel. And in this kind of playful spirit, I accepted the the, the challenge. In this imaginal play that was merged with the uh, with the natural environment, I I did win the fight, but through that I was. I was faced uh, very, very intimately my own mortality. Lowry was to become Death's apprentice. Latest chapter uh, was uh, in this apprenticeship was when I did dream work with you, Matt. I don't even remember the dream, but when uh, when entering entering into dream with your guidance, uh, holding the space, quite suddenly I. I saw this uh, very, very common and even stereotypical white light and uh, and a tunnel that that was moving towards me, and it was very, very beautiful and touching. It was a kind of knowing that there is the other world after after my death, and uh, there is there is no, there won't be any more this kind of human sorrows and. This particular experience was, I think, the the direct effect for me uh, was that 
I've been, I feel I have been able to be more relaxed and uh, been able to enjoy more, even in the midst of, of a strong discomfort, tension, and even sorrow. There's the kind of sense or knowing that even though it's, it's, life can be very, very hard and challenging and painful at times, it, it won't last forever. So this kind of very, yeah, freeing, freeing and enlivening effect after experiencing that. The practice of the mandorla and that allowed me to speak back, to go from one side to the other, to speak towards something I could not yet imagine or see, and then to speak back into I had created a mandorla and on one side was kind of the ruins, that's what I called it, of whatever was happening at the time, vocationally and spiritually and all. And at the other was what I hoped at least represented something I hoped for. And as I was able to have that conversation within myself and out loud, literally on the land in that place, um, in sharing those things, very much in the storytelling of the invitations that you would give and that we invited to listen to each other very deeply, just mm-hmm. to hold that open for each other. I was driving toward the horizon of where the Mississippi River is, and it, I'm on the Delta, the Mississippi Delta, and um, I just felt myself like falling into this scene or this line where the earth and the sky met. I felt myself just like almost diving into it like you would a, a body of water. And it it was kind of, it was disorienting. I, you know, I had this sense of like, you know, kind of where am I? And there's, and there was also this sense of no, there was no time. Time was non-existent. Tell it there's there's a sense of peace, but as I was experiencing, it was a kind of where am I? You know what's happening right now? I was entering this space between that was actually there was no separation. The visual that I have of the separation of earth and sky is non-existent. I was taken in to a place where that almost it like disappeared. I just had this sense of being held in both spaces. It was, again, this kind of transformation of my mind, of, of what I thought I knew I saw versus what I had been get, what I was receiving. The other thing I think of is when people sew, you know, the stitch will gather something. It, it doesn't just put things together. There's a way in which it grasps something broader and brings it together. In the stories that you've been sharing, I can feel this stitching of the seams. What, how did you call it? This yeah, binding of the binding seams. of the seams. Yeah, yeah. And and this way that to use some other sort of terminology, it's almost like this conjunctio that's happening in your own life on many many levels of this this kind of overturning of opposites and this almost like this like taking a a binary worldview and 
having this imaginal space or distance in which to to sort of see things from multiple angles and turning things upside down like this this shell has invited you into in its own wisdom so that things can be reconfigured again the language of soul is this poetic imagery so beautiful and and that's part of the imaginal what the imaginal journey opens us to you know for me when i came to recognize that it's not only soul speak and the soul song that is that way also that it makes sense that spirit can spirit can communicate with us in that way right and you know i think of visions in the bible you know prophetic vision and so so on and how how i've heard those treated by folks is what do they mean how do we interpret them rather than that in addition to how do we experience those how do we experience vision? The experience of imaginal journey work where this poetic imagery rises as a, a living story, I find to be this, this exchange between soul and spirit. This life, the way that different traditions name mystery, what I call God and what I think is happening in the person of Jesus and in the Holy Spirit and this Trinitarian formula, all of it is the stuff of poetry, not prose. The study of the Aramaic words of Jesus revealed this, this man and this mystic and this personified mystery that is speaking about this current of life and power and generative creative being that is forever flowing, that is always expanding outward and yet longing for particularity. And to me, that extreme aliveness is something that I can't unsee and unfeel, but feel incredibly buoyed by, recognize that I'm participating in with my own being. And it was stunning to be confronted with this expanse of Jesus that I always intuited, but had never been taught. And the phrase that continues each and every day to come to me is that of extreme aliveness. The frontier before me of opening myself ever more fully to that extreme aliveness, engaging a community with not just the intellectual awareness of, but the experiential encounter with that extreme aliveness is now what I will dedicate the rest of my life to. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field when someone found it, they hid it again, and then, in wild joy, they went and sold all they had to buy that field. It's a great joy to be not only centered in this refreshed sense of purpose, to be materially, consequentially changed within myself, but also to know that the whole of the cosmos is championing this extreme aliveness that I'm now riding on and being carried by and I'm trying to communicate with the, with the tiny cup of the offering of my own life. I think that's largely what we're doing is we're relearning how to open our arms and to fall into the beautiful embrace that grandma has for us. I mean, I have to change the imagery here to describe the way I feel of shift. As, as Larry was referring to all the kind of pains and difficulties of life, they're very, very present in my life at the moment. And I can feel kind of the old trajectory, the old pull kind of cry out to that old 
father figure in the clouds, you know, because despite all the theology, that still has, I've still got a little pocket in my brain, needs to die, definitely, but it's still there. So I still have that urge, but I'm now conscious, consciously able to replace it with this mycelial image of everything connected and, you know, the fungi underneath the surface of the forest floor that interconnect with each other and which interconnect with the trees and the fruiting bodies that rise up from it. So there's something to do with actually really much more viscerally knowing myself as part of that and calling on that actually for help because, in fact, the understanding is if part of that little network is ill or sick, then things are sent to it to help. That's quite a big difference. It's just kind of there rather than top down. And the top down actually doesn't work anyway. So I end up getting angry with that figure and it doesn't get anyone anywhere. But this 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 feels much more, as I said earlier, yeah, strong and gentle at the same time. Later, and I'm, I'm inquiring and I'm curious, what is the role and meaning of uh, having or rooting uh, oneself to a, uh, to a particular whole worldview, like a worldview that is very complex and mythical worldview that, for instance, Bible shows. So I'm in a I'm in a place of like yeah I'm I'm questioning uh, I'm asking myself uh, what kind of center what kind of mythical or devotional center do I need as I'm uh, at the moment I'm, I'm interested of of the Finnish uh, so-called pagan Finnish indigenous tradition but also also Christian mysticism and I'm I'm in the process of seeing and uh, tying those uh, d- different threads somehow together the map is not the thing mm-hmm. and somehow that early on gave me a little distance from oh well, that's right. I'm not walking on a map. I'm in the world. And that was really found. The map, that kind of peculiar located space that I was occupying, this map of Jackson County where I live is not my life. This is my life. And as I made those maps, the other thing that began to be was the, the peculiar nature of the map that I might Right. Then I I have a map of my walk when I found the shell. Since early spring I've been visiting a particular place in the in the woods very near very close to my home. There I have started to cultivate a friendship relationship with a, with two two trees, an aspen and a, and a pine tree. And uh, I have I have started to have a quite regular and direct uh, conversations uh, with them, and they speak on the behalf of the of the larger natural environment. There, uh, they are inviting me to to take or gather people people there. They have said to me that it's that that is the best way to protect the forest. The best way to protect uh, uh, the forest is to invite people with me to for come for a visit, and that is an, an ongoing exploration. Really wonderful to witness kind of all that's been shifting in your understanding of your deeper identity and the ways that um, uh, soul speaks, and also um, the way that we relate to the land shifts in such a way that we can have 
a two-way conversation. We can really deepen into the imagination of a particular place that invites our own conscious participation, inviting others into that direct kind of relationship. What keeps happening to me in the invitation that I've taken on vocationally is to reread, to reimagine scripture, to step into the story, the ancient story that I've been given as a text and use this new gifted imagination, this newly anointed way. What are you saying to me now? The scriptures have a way of telling the story and they have a way of holding these great mythic themes and they have a way of laying breadcrumbs on the trail or, or like way markers or stones, you know, standing stones to help us map out the territory a bit and return. One of the things that happened after I did those maps is I, teaching confirmation in a local church to young people. I, I decided to have them draw a map and uh, together we kind of charted this, the walk of Jesus around the Galilee and, you know, all of those. And the, the engagement with that of those 12-year-old boys was so delightful and, and revealing in how, it, how they made connections there. We're going to map how Jesus did this, but I want to know, you know, what's your, where did you walk? What's the mm. journey that you're on? My vocation is as United Methodist pastor in a local church, and I, um, if I believe that that a calling is like this ongoing thing, that it that if I'm not in conversation with the calling, that I'm not I'm not paying attention to the right thing. What shifted for me um, in this year long and in several things that that I've been a part of with you and others is a kind of community, and that's where the community comes in of being a part of a community that is collectively reimagining the world on the ground in a fullness, in a fullness that's, um, you know, maybe pulling that kind of um, directional work that helped me, helps me pay attention to all of the facets. I'm more convinced than ever after this that that that's one of the things that that God, the divine, is is deeply wants to gift us with. I'm absolutely sure of that. To gift us with this holy imagination, to like anoint ourselves with this kind of holy imagination that is outside of the the boundaries that we have proscribed and prescribed the box that we live in. I need to create and to help others create a kind of space in which conversations that kind of slip the bonds and the boundaries of our own moment can only happen in a kind of space in which we are given permission to release, to be released from ourselves in the way we have experienced ourselves. Think of uh, Kelly too. I think of you as you know one who has heard the bird speech from the bush and and um, has tasted the feathers in her mouth and has sort of floated horizontally with feet in the earth and head in the you know in space and has been apprenticing to the river as this essential threshold and and maybe even discovered re rediscovered the the water and the baptismal call in a maybe 
maybe a different way. And um, I've just really appreciated you and your contribution to this group. And I feel like that I'm in this place of, of attending to the invitations. Right. It's just this river of yeah. ongoing invitation into the headwaters of the mystery. What we're here beautiful. for. Beautiful. That's sense. beautiful. It's a beautiful way to say that. And I, I would just also say, if you want to feel more alive, that's where I'm coming from. So I would add also that you are you are interested about myths and mythologies. That was the that was the primary thing for me. Like I did know I knew very little about myths. I didn't know what to do with them. I had this hunch that there there would be something meaningful and useful. The thing that's happened over over this year is that um, I've been brought back to my place of vocational understanding in a way that has tremendous clarity for me of where I where I stand and why and who I am. In that too is you know the my own growth and maturation transformation of being loved in this spirit-soaked world. And my openness to that has opened me to not only greater awareness, but greater experience of, of life in all of its fullness. And it opens me to that which has always been and is and always will be, right? I just wasn't aware of it. It was like my, my radio wasn't on this dialed to the station. We live in a world, uh, in a Western world where, where we are situated, that has ensnared itself in so many knots and set out tripwires for each other because of the density of our prosaic way of thinking and being and our inability to welcome the poetry of this life, this great mystery, being enraptured by this sweeping erotic love story, this love story and we become enraptured with this love story and more intimately engaged with this love story. There is a ring that I made four years ago at another formative um, crucible in my own life. And just yesterday I had engraved on the back of it, don't go back to sleep. Uh, the phrase from the Rumi work that you shared with us, Matt, don't go back to sleep. So we can't unsee and unfeel these and unexperience these things that have led us to where we are. And what a fitting ending to this interview, perhaps, for this year-long. This quote from Rumi, The breeze at dawn has secrets to tell you. Don't go back to sleep. You must ask for what you really want. Don't go back to sleep. People are going back and forth across the door sill where the two worlds touch. The door is round and open. Don't go back to sleep.
If you like what you heard today, please consider becoming a patron. You can find out more at patreon.com slash mythic Christ. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Mythic Christ. Mythic Christ offers online community for exploring the mythic structures of story, archetype, dream, and the deep imaginal realm, supporting the awakening of individuals who are sensing a collective longing and a desire to rewild these divine images in the sacred, spirit-breathed ground of the natural world. Patronage levels start for as low as $6 a month, and patrons get a variety of benefits that are listed on the site, including early access to new podcasts, downloadable guided practices for deepening your own journey, complimentary mentoring and DreamWork sessions, early notification of courses, programs, discounts, and more. Thank you for supporting Mythic Christ. hope you enjoyed today's episode, and until next time, may you be open to the presence of mystery, the unfolding of the great dream that has dreamt you, determined to live the one line of poetry that is yours to live. Amen and awen, may it be so. Amen.